0: Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we've got the story of the Karbala Provincial Headquarters raid in Iraq in 2007. So this event would even as we look back today is considered right there at the top in terms of the most brazen enemy attacks, the most, um, well-prepared and well-executed enemy attacks. And it kind of ties in with stuff we've been talking about recently where you're trying to weigh, you know, the most deadly versus the most likely course of action. I'm trying to think of a better way to say it, but that really distills it out. And we'll get into that here shortly, but as a little bit of background, Karbala sits outside of Baghdad, just a little ways to the south and west. And in 2007, we're really getting to the height of the Iraq surge. The Iraq surge was when American forces surged into the country. We, we landed a lot more. I mean, I think we we're up to 130,000 U.S. troops at peak in the Iraq surge, at times doubling doubling capacity across the country to try to quell what is becoming a, well, there's multiple battles going on in Iraq, but in 2007, you're also starting to see the peak of sectarian violence across the country. You also have some overlap where there is a rather strong Sunni insurgency, and then you have a more nationalistic Shia insurgency. It's a mess. Iraq is is on fire. So... Units across Iraq are fanned out into city centers, just like we'll see in Afghanistan throughout the last 20 years. We're trying to be around the population, trying to influence um, support for local government. And again, the concept with counterinsurgency and with low intensity conflict, which is generally what we would call Iraq and Afghanistan, you want to be around people to show that there's support. The, as soon as you move away from the people, then they're at risk of being influenced by whatever adversary you have. In Karbala, Americans had set up a base around the provincial headquarters. It's the government building in Karbala. It's not huge. It's a pretty small, um, pretty small building. But there's Iraq. They're tied in with Iraqi forces. Remember, we have to. We have to get these Iraqi forces to the point of being able to carry out these missions and do everything. So there's Americans tied in with Iraqis guarding the the, uh, provincial headquarters building and the main gate. And the idea is just to be amongst the people. Now, being amongst the people raises some challenges because not all of the people are always interested in you being there. And there's a wide array of who might be on the other side of the wire who might be in the building that looks into your base just because somebody's not carrying a weapon or just because they're not, you know, calling in a mortar strike or, you know, directing a mortar strike via radio against your position doesn't mean that they're not facilitating or helping the enemy in some way. And this is what makes this type of warfare so complicated. How do you do that? How, how do you, especially when you're talking about what we're going to get into is a group of, you know, 20 year old soldiers. How do you, get into this deep counterinsurgency mindset where that person that's looking at you, like what percentage do they have to be on your side? If you will, like is 51% good enough. Um, what if they help the enemy on three days and help you on four? Like, is that enough? Does it need to be all in? I mean, it's, and how can you fault them either way? If they've got people on if, it's a tough spot for the Iraqis and I don't mean to to underplay that. But it's a tough spot for the American soldiers as well that are trying to figure out how how do we treat these people around us? Are they all friends? Are they all enemies? You no, know, the truth is it's some incredibly complicated mix in between. The leading up to the raid on Karbala Provincial Headquarters, there were some signs that things may have been out of the ordinary. One of them was a Iraqi unit that showed up, which wasn't out of the ordinary, but they were kind of looking around and taking pictures when maybe they, they wouldn't otherwise. What do you do with that? How do you prove that that guy taking a picture in an Iraqi uniform isn't It's a challenge, right? It's, it's, it's a muddy war. But then there's further issues starting to pop up that wouldn't be noticed until after they really don't piece together until after this raid. I'm going to get into them now and then we'll, we'll talk about the raid, but it, it plays on the idea of how do you decide how much trust you place in these people around you? And that's going to be a big part of how this raid gets carried out. There's people working in and around this, um, this provincial center and strangely one after the other is not there. There's kids that run errands for the American soldiers. He's not there. There's a barber that works on post. He's not there. There's, it's just the Iraqi police aren't, you know, reporting as they normally would. In retrospect, things looked off. But at the time, every one of these guys has a hundred things to do and one hour to do it. And it's easy for some of this to slip through the cracks and not be able to piece it together on the spot. But even if you could piece it together on the spot, I'm not sure... We were necessarily well equipped to handle what happens on january 20th 2007. throughout iraq throughout the war there would be vips american coalition iraqi and they would travel not necessarily in what you would consider military vehicles they'd be in suvs a lot of times they'd be up armored suvs um, but the windows would be tinted there'd be signs on them saying danger stay back and they'd roll in, in groups three, four, five, six. They six. They'd be it might be American contractors, might be State Department, might be department. I mean, you don't know, but it was a common sight to see this. These groups also don't really like to stop on the interstate. They don't really like to um, get held up in traffic. So you, it wasn't uncommon to see these VIP groups be moving around checkpoints. And I know that's not right. And that's not what you want to hear, that some people stop at checkpoints and others don't or they're waved through quickly and maybe not searched as thoroughly, but that's, that's the position that a lot of these VIPs would put soldiers in. So you learn that there's certain, you stop everybody coming into the gate, but at some point you might get chewed out for stopping that VIP and his guys come out and say, you don't need to stop us. We're so-and-so we can go through. We're so-and-so and it's, just, it's a tough spot for the guy in the guard tower. It's a tough spot for the guy at the entry control point to understand um, how long do I hold this guy. It might be the secretary of defense, um, and it might be a mix-up. So you, you, you start to recognize things. It's just like if a Humvee rolls through the gate. It's an American Humvee with American radios and guys in there in American uniforms. Okay, you let them in. That's kind of what leads up to this attack on... 20 January, 2007. As the American forces are sitting inside their base, a unit rolls up to the gate. A series of these black SUVs and in the black SUVs are people that speak English. They're carrying American weapons and they're wearing American uniforms. They're waved through security. They end up inside the compound. They exit the vehicles they step out like they belong there. And again, why would anybody question it? Now at the gate, there were Iraqi guards, whether those Iraqi guards didn't search them or were intimidated, there were some kind of mixed reports. One of them was that they were threatened, which wouldn't have been crazy for an American to threaten an Iraqi guard and say, let me through the dang gate. And the Iraqis say, okay, let them in. So they would have heard something like that before. Nonetheless, these SUVs end up in the American courtyard, in the courtyard of the American base these nine to 12 fighters exit their vehicles and begin their assault on the unsuspecting American positions unsuspecting because these guys in the base are expecting more attacks. They're expecting a small, arm, small arms fire. They're not expecting somebody to be in their compound as they sleep, as they're working on their computers, as they're resting, as they're wearing flip-flops. And that's what happens. They storm the building nine to, 9 to 12 enemy fighters in the process, they kill one and wound three American soldiers. They're just not, you know, this, this is, well, I'm going to come back to that. The most likely versus the most deadly. The attack was quick. 15 minutes, they're out of the compound. They're back in their vehicles with four American soldiers as prisoner. They start to exit the area. Now the alarm signals are going off. The word has been spread. American units are on the lookout now. Understanding something's amiss. As these SUVs are being tracked out of the city, the vehicles, the people in the vehicles eventually make their escape. And the four American service members are found uh, having been left behind and killed. So the end result of the attack would be five Americans killed, three wounded, and all of the enemy attackers would escape. Down the road, there would be a um, a strike that would kill the suspected leader of this organization, um but but no retribution in terms of or no casualties on the enemy's side for this raid. What's So there's two things to dive into here. One is that most likely versus most dangerous. You can't, you know the most dangerous, all right, most dangerous is having the enemy inside your wire having been let in, maybe, or, It doesn't matter. They're in. That's pretty dangerous. When it results in people being taken captive, that's got to be up there in the most dangerous course of action, but that hasn't happened yet in the war. That's not a common tactic. That's incredibly risky to just walk up to the gate of your enemy and assume to be let in. So on the one hand, there's, you have to plan for that. On the other hand, man, that is a tough ask. It's a tough ask to say, what am I going to do if I'm laying in my bed and 12 enemy fighters walk in the door? I mean, I got it. You can you can run that through your head, but to be prepared for that all day, every day for, I don't know how long these guys were there, nine months, 12 months, a year, 15 months. You have to, to keep your sanity, have some level of, you have to be able to let your guard down at some point. You have to be able to understand when you're in a safe safer place and when you're not kind of be able to turn it off and turn it on. Inside the the Karbala provincial headquarters, American soldiers had turned it off. This was their place to let their guard down. This was their place to recoup for the dangerous and deadly missions outside the wire. They weren't ready for this. But it goes back into how do you trust the people around you? It's not hard to understand if you're an Iraqi watching the, the gate, It doesn't take some high advanced degree to understand when guard changes occur. It doesn't... You can watch these vehicles traversing Baghdad and Karbala and say, man, if I could just get one of those SUVs, that'd be a heck of a lot easier than getting an American Humvee. I wonder if they'd let me in. It's not hard to come up with the plan for this attack. What's hard is the execution of it. There's been a lot of... And it it differs from what you'd see later in the war as well. Later in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, you would see these attacks where people would try to get in the gate and they wouldn't be about taking hostages. They'd be blowing themselves up. So it'd be suicide bombers. It's a totally different tactic that would have in this case, probably would have caused more casualties if they actually had driven in and detonated a vehicle. In turn, there was a lot of skepticism about where this attack originated There was a lot of thoughts that there was some training or resourcing from, um, from nation states. There was a finger point that at Iran, I don't know as we sit here today, how proven that claim has been, but it's also not crazy to assume that Iran, well, we know that they were, as you'd expect, heavily involved in, in any military action that's taking place right across the border. So I'm not crazy to think that they would have some role to play in it. How direct? I don't know. That, that information might be out there. I just haven't seen it. Nonetheless, the raid on the Karbala Provincial Headquarters in, on 20 January 2007 was one of the most brazen attacks against American forces during the entire Iraq War. And the result of that raid on that day, the Americans killed in action would be Captain Brian Freeman, First Lieutenant Jacob Fritz, Specialist Jonathan Chisholm,